Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who also has a hobby of taking photos of dead people, and the police will never catch him. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I just find that it's a lot easier to take pictures of dead people if you're the first one on the scene. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and the easiest way to make that happen. Oh, no, I would never. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month. You know, keep us going. Keep us in the Sisyphean task and get access to some bonus content. Because, I mean, why would you pay to keep us in the Sisyphean task unless you were getting something more directly out of the deal than just the joy of sitting back and watching two guys who know nothing about movies watch all of the movies? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, presumably there might be, you might take some sort of perverse, sick joy out of it. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Without, no, without I, actually I getting am it. Perfect. I mean, I guess you're getting something out of it, right? You're getting gratification yeah. from torturing yeah. us. So, Yeah. It, listen, if people support us uh, solely out of sadism, that's fine. We do a non-criterion bonus film over there every month, uh, except for December, which is our... Uh, our annual holiday special that we send out to everyone uh, on the main podcast. But uh, January through November, we do a non-criterion bonus film over there. And yeah, supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. I put together a list, usually themed list of four choices. And then the fifth choice is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie. Because uh, when I first decided on a movie to pick for our escape valve, that's what was in my brain. So We've stuck with it. It's a terrible mistake. Yeah, we've been doing the bonus episodes for five years now. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, can't believe it. That's, I think you've said this on the podcast before, but even more bewildering than trying to get around my brain around the idea that we've been doing this main podcast for 10 years is that we've been doing the Patreon for like five. Yeah, uh, no, it's wild, right? That $1 mark is... Uh, obviously super important we got plenty of people at one dollar and greatly appreciate them and that gives them access to the entire back catalog of those bonus episodes and the right to vote on the new ones which everybody gets no matter what tier they're at uh, so a little above that for people who can afford to help keep us going a little bit more the five dollar mark we like to thank those people as on air as their little special bonus uh and thank you so much to Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, Stephen Goldmeyer, and Andrew Jarrett, our $5 supporters. Above that, Pat does something that's pretty dang special, uh, and I help too. Pat yes. makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, uh, once a month. And I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters. I'd also like to thank them on air, of course. Uh, so thank you so much to Tracy McGrath, Patrick Yako, uh, Nina Bosnak, and Jason Westaver and Adam Speaker. Yes, thank you very much. If you want to check out those postcards uh, before you commit to being a full-time supporter, head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there, and you can find most of the past postcards. Uh, there's a few that have been removed for copyright reasons, uh, which is unfortunate because compared to other things on Redbubble, <laughs> they are not copyright. No. Certainly. No. Also, uh, especially just that is certifiably yeah. fair use. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, they are certifiably various. Uh, but unfortunately, Redbubble has has uh, allowed them to be removed. But for the ones that haven't, you can buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, as stickers, uh, occasionally as buttons or magnets, uh, depending on my whim as I randomly click and unclick check marks scrolling down the <laughs> list of what, what products should be available. Thank you so much to everyone who has purchased anything off of our Redbubble. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who has supported our Patreon. And thank you so much to you for listening. Pat. Yes. What do you want? We have made it. Finally, after months, we're back to uh, a two-hour Swedish drama. Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> the best thing. Yes. The bread and butter of the <laughs> Criterion Collection. Yep. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is one from a director we have not encountered before, uh, despite uh, having a very long career himself. Uh, Jan Troll, born in 1931, uh, did some Hollywood work as well in, I believe, the late 70s. Uh, but the film we're talking about this week is from 2008 and is called Everlasting Moments. Jan has uh, not done a lot since this. Uh, he did a six-minute short film in 2010. No, he's done one documentary since this, and he has done one feature since this. So he's done three projects. I mean, he's also 91, so <laughs> I can't right, fault him right. there. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he right. um, but, he also, I mean, not to like really just like be not nice from the beginning, also seems very difficult to work with. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get more into that maybe in a little bit. Um, Everlasting Moments. Uh, when I read the description of this, uh, in Swedish it's titled, uh, the literal translation is Maria Larsson's Everlasting... Gobstoppers. Uh, no. <laughs> no, not Gobstoppers. <laughs> Maria, Lars- <laughs> Maria Larsson's Eternal Moment is the, uh, is the literal translation. Uh, when I read the description of this, uh, it is based on a true story of a woman named Maria Larson, who was a Swedish working class woman in the early 20th century who won a camera in a lottery and went on to become a photographer. That's the that's the the one sentence plot synopsis from like Wikipedia. Uh, and that implied to me that she was some sort of famous photographer who. Yeah, uh, maybe, right. The name yeah. I should have known. Uh, she's not. Uh, it turns out that this is um, that the way uh, Troll learned about this story is that his wife's father's aunt We're is Maria. Start. <laughs> yeah, so so it's a uh, you know that makes it a sort of personal story. Um, uh, his wife is a journalist as well, and I don't know if the investigation into Maria's life started just as a uh, family story, started as her wanting to write a uh, it did uh, seem magazine article way. or something. Yeah, like, uh, uh, we don't know, but, like, there's kind of an implication that, like, something he said in one of the spots sort of implied that that was the case. Yeah, so in any in any case, however, however it started... What we see of sort of background research is his wife talking to her family members. Um, Agneta Osater Troll is her is her name, um, but she talks to uh, the granddaughter 
of Maria um, and sees pictures and talks about family history there and how how this person first discovered Maria's pictures, which are still in the family, right? Right. And, you know, they're, they are good pictures. She definitely had a natural eye. Um, in some of the other documentary material here, we can see uh, see the real pictures more more directly. Um, but they are also a working class woman documenting her wife, uh, her life, taking pictures of her family, of her neighbors, of her town. Uh, and there is nothing wrong with that. That is that is art in and of itself, and it is an interesting anthropological piece, even beyond whatever art it might be. Right. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's just an interesting world into her life from her pictures. Uh, and then we get this film about her life as well that is presumably pretty true to reality. Uh, and as such, is also just an interesting look at working class life uh, in the turn of the 20th century. Um, I will say that Troll's background is not working class, and he talks about this. Uh, his father was a dentist, and they were pretty well off. Right. Um, right yeah. He does not explicitly say what class he considers himself, but there is a point in one of the documentaries where he says that all of his friends were working class, and he, his family it made was, him feel sad. and then sort of trails off. <laughs> yeah, it made him feel sad. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, uh, we'll see more from Yontral moving into the future. Um, I think we've got three other films of his in the Criterion Collection currently. It is always trepidation <laughs> when a upper-class guy starts trying to tell stories about working-class people. Uh, yeah. It is not always bad. Uh, it can it can be good. Um <laughs> Uh, but it's always trepidation, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, and here, I think it works out pretty well. I think he's he's got a good mind for the story he wants to tell. He doesn't um, he doesn't present the issues of this family in a way that feels either condescending or like he's ignoring their real material issues right. to say something bigger about class or whatever. Uh, or or ignoring the class element, period, right? Um, which I which I would say we is have the, more, the more common uh, result right, when right. we've encountered this sort of behavior. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't pathologize the poor in any manner. Uh, he he understands there is a class difference here. Um, yeah, and he doesn't. Uh, I think th the way this movie deals with its political issues are are very. Uh, are fairly fair. Um, you know, the the stuff that's going on in this movie is stuff that really went on, right? And I don't think that the... Uh, there's a moment in this movie where sabotage takes place that is blamed on the socialists, and socialists go to prison for... Uh, and the movie does not really dwell on the reality of whatever might have happened... Uh, and sure, the socialists might have actually committed that sabotage, and that would be fine given their situation. Right, right. <laughs> but, but also, maybe, it, maybe it didn't happen. Um, maybe that's not how it happened. I suppose uh, it's always hard talking about 
elements of sabotage in the past because on the one hand, the workers doing this had good reason and good motive to have done it. Uh, but also the uh, management, <laughs> ownership, capitalist class right. would have very good reason to sabotage their own equipment to uh, undermine the workers' movement. Uh, so I don't, I find it difficult to express my opinions on those sorts of, on who did it without removing agency from the workers or making the, <laughs> making the capitalists seem, seem evil in ways that they are not evil. <laughs> right. right. Um, well, but, I mean, they may have uh, been evil. We just don't, there are, we yes. don't know. I mean, like, you know what I mean? I think like, we could, it, it could be anything. It's also kind of not in the end important to the story. And that's oh, it's definitely not important the to the movie at all. Is right. that like, yeah. oh, this is, and, and and that's an interesting thing about this movie is that like, um, it's not relevant. Like, should it be? Maybe just well, in the sense that like, we get this sort of like very um, our our understanding of. Uh, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce his name, Siegfried. But like, I don't. He has a nickname, and I don't know. Siggy. I, yeah, just, is it actually just, just Sig. pronounced Siggy? Sig. I didn't catch it. Yeah. The words I could only catch the writing. So I just sort of like yeah. was like, well, I think, I think Sig would be a fine way to say it. Uh, Siggy, I think, is what they're actually saying, but I don't actually know. Right. Uh, but Siegfried is his. Is right. His yeah. Cool we name. we we kind of get a a sort of. Um, a view into his politics, but they seem to be whatever sort of expedient at the moment. Yeah, like which is fine. Well, that's yeah. The very the very interesting thing about where politics come into this movie is that they are working class politics, often aimed at you know around Sig, and Sig is sort of a secondary character. Yes, yeah. Like, this that's is Maria's story, this, yeah, right? Is that like. He uh, is. So we, we have only his the daughter what is essentially the daughter's view of the mother's view of him. Right. Yeah. And we we see things happen that are outside what would be the knowledge of our narrator, who is the daughter, Maya. Um but uh but what we see happen there is it's not presented in a way like this is the daughter's understanding of what is going on here, right? You know, this that's is why presented I sort as of, third yeah, that's why I kind of tried to frame right. it the way I did. Is yeah. that, like there are bits of it that are in first per or first person narrative. Right. Like I mean, we go long yeah. periods of time before she, in between her, the narrator talking. Um, right, and it's it's things that the daughter would not reasonably have known, and would not reasonably be able to share with whoever she is telling this story to, right? Um, but yeah, that political element is a strike at work and then, uh, socialist anarchists, um, and then his best friend who, who is an anarchist who gets, who loses everything, um, not, not necessarily because of his devotion to the politics, but we don't know enough about his life to figure right. that out, really. Um, and then commit suicide. And, and Sig, um, Sig is so torn up at England's death that he briefly becomes 
I don't know, a little more, a little more, has a little more of a backbone as a worker for a few, for a few years, at least within the story. Um, and then they end up at the socialist picnic at the end. So presumably he has had a character arc in the background there of right, becoming right. more, more political. Um, but yeah, the politics are, are, are pretty background. Uh, and even when they, it's weird because I don't feel like Sig's political life is, is tied into their personal lives that much either. It doesn't, it's not something he really brings home all that often, right? No, yeah. Um, I mean, he, every so often he'll like, when he's real, like, you know, we, towards the, at the beginning when he's first sort of exploring the idea of like socialism and stuff like that, he sort of, um, says, you know, capitalist pigs a couple of times. And the, and the reaction is sort yeah. of like, well, like, when did this start? <laughs> like, where, 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 right, what's this right. all about? Because it sort of comes for everybody there, like quite clearly comes out of nowhere, right? Like, right, right. Um, yeah, and uh, we don't know what his what his parents did for the living for a living, but his mom seems to be fairly well off. I don't know. I I I don't know about that. Obviously, the Temperance Society, which is their main social engagement at the beginning of the movie, right, uh, is a uh, it's not a movement that is class conscious, right? Right. In fact, it is paternalizing to the under underclass in most of its iterations that I am familiar with. <laughs> yeah, I mean that uh, does because, seem to be just the the yeah the thing, yeah. right? Yeah, poor people getting drunk is how that is normally paternalized historically um, and pathologized, really, uh, ultimately. Um, and it is always like rich society women uh, who. Uh, are trying Seem to less ease the world's in, in, um, right, yeah, um, you are, know, flaws or whatever are, or woes. Yeah, are much less interested in policing their own husbands' drinking habits than the drinking habits of the working class. Right, uh, is mostly, and a lot of you know within the U.S. context at least around the turn of the century, especially, um, a lot of those sort of temperance movements interlock with uh, with Christianity in a way that they are positioned against worker movements. Right. Um, the Salvation Army and the IWW in the early 20th century in the U.S. were enemies uh, <laughs> for for uh, not unfound reasons of, of the IWW seeing uh, what the Salvation Army doing as placating uh, worker movements. Um at the, you know, to the benefit of, if not at the behest of the bosses. Right. Uh, and, you know, we don't, certainly the temperance movement here is doing that sort of as well, uh, but is also, you know, we, this is a very interesting movie to be taking place in the 20th century in a fairly small city in Sweden because the Larsons have very little community yeah, where they yeah. live, right? Uh, which is is interesting to me. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> that they... that's portrayed in the movie, right? Like, so that's the thing, right? Is that like, right. no, you know, 
you one has to wonder how much that is accurate and how much of that is like well we're if you combine we're filming on a on a budget with like well we didn't research every person who lives in town yeah you you start to end up like doing some some conservation of characters which can result in like a kind of an empty world that probably wasn't actually empty in reality right yeah like well yes and no uh so you know what we get presented of their social life at the beginning is that they're members of the temperance movement and they go to the temperance meetings uh which for some reason are password protected which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me either uh but uh uh, but then they get kicked out and it is a, a lament of them getting kicked out every time dad falls off the wagon. Right. Uh, and then they, well, there's repentance and forgiveness and they start that process over again. Right. Uh, it's explicitly in the opening narration. Um, and then, but she, you know, Maria, in much the same way as uh, as Jean Delman, uh, Maria doesn't have a life outside of motherhood, uh, right? And right. she seems to have even less of a connection to other mothers than Jean Delman does. <laughs> uh, which, and yeah, which I, I think we, this movie right, but like, yeah, the problem is like we don't. I don't know. That seems unlikely but you know right it does well she's also she's also finnish right or a a finn living in sweden right that that probably Um, does play a part in it right but like yeah um yeah it it is odd that she seems to be going undergoing quite a bit of alienation despite like not being what would necessarily what we would think of as a like classically sort of at this point alienated position per se um, yeah, yeah. It seems like she should have more friends. Um, is I guess all I'm saying. And you're 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 trying to say that realistically, historically, she would have had real I friends, think and we're she just probably not seeing would them. Have. Like, I mean, yeah. of course, we don't know, but like, it seems more than likely that like she would. Well, I mean, well, okay. Well, let's rephrase this. I suspect she probably would have had a decent number of. Um, you know, like acquaintances, right? Like, right. Ra- like in the end, uh, you know, we we you don't end up. I you know, and that I may this also may be deriving from the fact that I'm kind of a weirdo, but like, you know, acqu- acquaintances are much more likely than than friends, right? Like, you know, you you she probably doesn't have a a ton of free time in her life. You know what I mean, like to be like building enormously complex relationships, but like there would be the people she encounters all the time who become sort of like acquaintances. And then, you know, I like the role of mother in a, in this kind of society is already fairly alienated, right? Like, because yeah, the, the way, the way the workload is designed, like, and like set up results in like, that's a full day's worth of work at a place where there's no other people. We're all, or the only, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? You, you don't know right. what I'm saying? And she is working outside of the home, uh, but as, 
as a uh, as a maid, which right? is not as any less alienating, right? Like that's not that's right. not going to fix that yeah. problem, right? Yeah, and you know that's to a certain extent that's the sort of alienation we see in the main characters of uh, the Fontenhaus trilogy that we watched recently, um, though they had drugs to use as as an escape and also had more of community than. <laughs> Maria right. Well, and that had to do with li- like, I mean, li- a lot of that had to do with living conditions, right? Like, yeah. I mean, right, right. But their living conditions should have her have that community within. within right? I, and I think, and I uh, think she again, should be in real life. Probably she would, but they would be. Yeah. Well, and you get into the question of like, I think what we, you and I get into what we're actually talking about is like, where does one draw the line between friend and acquaintance? Um, right. Like, like. You know, in any of those movies that we watch, like most of those people are just going to be acquaintances. They just they just are, like maybe good yeah. acquaintances that you know a lot about, but like who do you turn to when like things are bad is a di- is a different sort of question, right? Yeah. And we see like in the la- in the final scenes of the movie when or towards the end when he and I know it's a different place, but like because they move, but you know when he's coming home from jail like there's all these people on the street and stuff they probably know all those people right like they know all their names right they are neighbors yeah yeah i just think it's probably that the movie didn't want to like introduce a shit ton of extra characters yeah but probably i I feel like there are instances where where i don't know i don't know if how much of this is uh the Trolls' interpretation of Maria's life, what they were told about Maria's life, or what they just want to present here. Um, like, there's no, like, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie, England is complaining about his wife leaving him um, too, too sick, right? They're in the bar. Right. And then a scene or two later, We've got England at dinner with them. And then a scene or two later is is England having committed suicide. Um, but there's no reason, society-wise, it feels to me, that Maria shouldn't have known England's wife prior. Right, uh, right. I, and yeah, I and there's, nothing, there's nothing in the movie that feels like the people we have met were England's wife or that they had a deeper friendship. Like the only visitors we have who come to the Larson house are people Sig brings to Larson's house uh, until he goes to prison. Um, And then the next time we see people in the house, one Sig is very angry that there are people in the house. Right. And two, they are, they are neighbors there for a commercial enterprise, right? They are having their picture taken by Maria. Um, So of course, the flip side of that is that uh, Maria's outlet of photography is all the more poignant if this is her only uh, social connection, right? Or thing approaching a social connection. Yeah. Right, right. It is. Well, and, and even, then, even, okay, even if we like walk back and say, like, okay, well, we don't, the, probably the movie doesn't represent a necessarily fully realized and realistic interpretation of, like, what her social life was like. It would still represent a pretty significant um, sort of, like, departure from sort of the day-to-day activities of life 
which would be significant mm-hmm. anyway. And especially if it's bringing people into the home later on, like that's pretty important, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, I'm not like disagreeing with you. I just I suspect that that is not necessarily a representation a hundred percent of what her life was like, as much as the yeah. way that this film chooses to interpret the information that they got. Um, right. You know, because it's all going to be secondhand information, like about you know a person's experiences from x number of years ago like you know how alienated or not alienated were they from their community is like a fairly complicated question to be able to actually address that's Um, fair and it's possible our filmmakers are just not up to the task of knowing the truth of that yeah you know it's it's also what it boils down to is who who they choose to show a uh, show Maria interacting with versus who they leave off the table you know not to say that she doesn't interact with other people than these but basically every woman we see Maria interact with she's suspicious of either because it's someone uh Sig is cheating on her with uh and in which case the, the suspicion is very well grounded right or the uh the female clerk at Peterson's uh shop uh, in you know the the later after they move and she travels across town to visit the shop again because uh, Sig wants a picture of himself in his uniform or whatever. Um, it's yeah, uh, she's they're very cold to one another, uh, and you know that is probably realistic too, right? These are both women who have an interest in the hobby. Uh, and because of their lack of outlet for that, uh, Peterson is a a commodity to be protected. Right, right. Whether or not it, it they is have the difference between whether or not hot... they have remote it and right. yeah, right. Whether or not they have romantic in, you know, intentions with Peterson are uh, basically irrelevant, right? Because like he's yeah, the yeah. well. So what what we're dealing with in many ways, right, is the fact that like for. Pearson as a as the shop owner for this he is a fully realized um like legitimate purveyor of this stuff right like he yeah whether or not his relationship with them is something beyond that or not is not a thing that the movie really spends a lot of time on other than sort of just like you know occasionally it becomes yeah. a a, a, a you know, it does become a major plot point later on. But Sig like, is jealous, and Maria obviously is fond of Peterson. But right, if that yeah, fondness there's definitely is yeah. We don't know like actual, right. yeah. If it is actual an actual affair, uh, that is incredible subtext within this movie, <laughs> right? And also if, again falls into uh, the category of things that like we as an audience member might yeah. want to know, but isn't actually technically relevant to the story. And certainly, like, and certainly the way the way the trolls are getting the story. Not something anyone would really have been upfront with, right? Would would uh, maybe not even know, and even if they know, would not be necessarily like just walking around yeah. talking about it all the time, right? Yeah. Um. But so, like, all right. So if we kind of go back, right, like to their the relationship with between um, Rhea and the and the shop person, the 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 woman in the shop, like they are both engaged in a hobby that is that is circumspect for them, right. It, it just by its na- by nature of the the time if and not, everything like that, 
they if have not to openly be hostile. Careful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, as a part of that, they like him being a willing and like enthusiastic supporter of their hobby makes him fucking made of gold, basically, right? Like, right, right. He's, right. he's and so. Absolutely. Both of them have to worry inherently, like, well, is this person going to result in me getting cut off from the thing that yeah. I want access to? Right. Presumably, I, given enough time and experience with each other, they could, they would eventually get to know each other right. and leave this behind. But it would, you know, that takes time, and they don't really have that, right? Again, I think it is. I think it is reasonable for Maria to be suspicious of the women that she interacts or that we see her interacting with and being suspicious right. of in the movie. I think it is a problem for the movie that she never gets to interact with anyone. She's not I, suspicious. I of. agree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, again, you know, this is about, about her alienation, uh, whether or not that alienation is wholly realistic, uh, is a matter of history that we cannot get into. Um, we just don't know. But it doesn't feel like it's very realistic. Uh, still, beyond that, the story of her alienation here and her escape through photography uh, and her husband's <laughs> her husband's continued issues, not just with her photography, but you know, uh, you know it's it's interesting because the movie doesn't really get into Sig's internal life all that much. You know, we get the political stuff with his friend, and obviously that that shows us some external emotional react, reaction to it. But we don't we don't get Sig presenting his motives for anything at right. any point. But right. But then again, like so, we, you know, I I suppose that's right, limiting the scope, right? Like, right. The person, the the his, our director's wife, who did all the research as part, of, you know, I guess as part of being a journalist, um had a specific goal in mind, right? Which is to learn more about this person that she's related to. Right. Like it would be, you know, we, you get into that sort of like, well, do we need to, if one imagines that we're kind of using her as a perspective character, at least, at, at least sort of, then like limiting how much we know about what's going on inside of, uh, his head is, is, is a reasonable thing to do. And also, helps us from helps the whole thing from running away from us. You know what I mean? Like we I, I, I think it is a good choice to not like I don't my guess is that part of that whole the whole alienation involved is the fact that like she doesn't seem to be able to like get inside of her husband's head particularly like he doesn't seem to be open to sharing about himself or that's fair. And so, you know, he is he is a mystery to her as much as it is as she is and to his children right like i mean like assuming that like the majority of people they're interviewing to make this work are like their children and people in the neighborhood who knew them and things like that he's not exactly the most open and friendly person i suspect right. nobody really knows right. like knew a lot about him <clears throat> yeah yeah you know, there are, it is, I I guess, you know, 
we don't we're just left with sort of stereotypes and assumptions about why you know his his lack of manhood or being able to provide for his family you know why he's mad when he gets back from prison particularly you know being mad he could just be mad that there's a bunch of people in his house and he's it's his first day out of prison right <laughs> and he right. would like to be in his house um but it particularly manifests as anger at her external source of income right uh and that is um you know, it's never really. They touch on it in the opening narration, but it never really gets brought up. He never throws it in her face that it is actually his camera as well, right? Right. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's just there's there's certain things that sometimes he just seems inhumanly monstrous in his anger toward her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I yeah, I know what you mean. And uh, there's yeah. There is, of course, nuance to that. In fact, the the entire ending and the fact that she refuses to leave him even while her children say, hey, why don't you leave him, uh, is you know an indication that she does have affection for him. Uh, and, you know, relationships are complicated. Um, even abusive relationships are complicated. Uh, but it does seem like he's sort of openly abusive and drink makes that worse uh but is not is not the only thing that he's not drunk by the time he gets home from prison uh for instance we don't get a scene of him drinking on his way or something um so yeah i don't know it's just it seems like most of sig's nuance is outside of his home life (laughs) um like in his professional life, in his relationship with England. Um, and then his relationship with the waitress, who is a stand-in for multiple affairs, it would seem, from dialogue and right. from other descriptions. He was a womanizer, not just a man who <laughs> met a waitress. Um, that's that's sort of just in contrast to Maria, you know, and and ultimately he he treats the waitress the same way he treats Maria, um, well, maybe even less respect in some manners. You know. Yeah, it actually does seem he, to be the case. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he definitely beats Maria very directly, but I think the first the first time we see him hit a woman with purpose. It is the waitress, not. Yes, I, not I Maria, think that is I that think. is true. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the 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 fight in the house with the with the coworker who is hitting on Maria <laughs> ends with her getting injured. But that is not that is not with purpose that she is getting injured there. Right. That is meant in that moment. The violence is a uh, it is an a boil over of him being violent when he's drunk of him being right. apt to fight when he's drunk. Uh, but it is not violence directed at Maria particularly. Um, yeah. And then it, it builds over the course of the movie to him being violent to Maria directly. Uh, and, you know, maybe I would have appreciated more of an exploration of his emotional state in 
No, we get we get just enough of his work life to to see that he is he should be frustrated. He should feel alienated in the same way. Right. Uh, but well, we don't yeah. we don't necessarily explore that. It's just no. Like, I mean, we don't explore that because I mean, again, we come back to the the idea that like this is fundamentally a her story. And right. he is and alienated. We know he's alienated. We we can right. tell. We but we but we but the the choice is to turn him into a a stereotype of a an angry right. alienated abusive husband. Like right. And yeah, does that suck? Yeah, but like I don't think it diminishes necessarily what the movie is actually about, which is Maria. Like it just right. he becomes a backdrop yeah. because I'm getting everybody's yeah. a backdrop because. Like the kids have, I I don't even know the names of their children. <laughs> like they say it, but we don't we don't really like it's, well, it's one is, mostly about her relationship with the camera. Right. Yeah, I mean by the by the point that they have five or six, I I sort of lose track. But there is one named Eric, and that's the one that gets polio. And that's right. The one well, that okay, she yeah, that's attempted, the one she tried to, to attempted the home yeah. abortion for. Yeah, um, and that's essentially the only Maya, one we who is. Go ahead. Maya, who is the oldest daughter, who is our narrator, and we get we get one instance of or a couple instances of her her adventures on her own outside of the house. Right, um, but like that's and, that's uh, kind of and the not only other one much. I remember. Right. Yeah, the only other one I remember is Elon, just because I heard the name Elon and <laughs> Elon Musk is in the news, so it's like, oh, there's an Elon. Uh, but yeah, but the others I don't remember, and I don't fault you for not remembering any of them. Well, Except and, Maya, for and, Maya, you should have remembered Maya at least. Yeah, but, but my, well, I, what I, I I did remember my my point. I was being hyperbolic <laughs> to point out the fact that they are not well-rounded characters either. Okay, right? Like How we, dare you we be get Little bits and pieces of their life uh, outside, you know, Maya a little bit more than right. everybody else because again, narrator or nominal narrator. Yes. But but the point being that like we don't have a well-rounded suite of characters here. We are talking about right. the story of Maria and her camera, basically. Right. Maya, and, and uh, how that camera goes with her through her life. Yeah. Maya also exists. Um, you know, One of her adventures is to show us that Maria has faced uh, sexual harassment from employers. Right. Uh, and that she now... She now has the strength to stand up for, to not see that happen to her daughter. Right. right. Yes. Um, and that's a fantastic sequence and, and wonderful scene of her confronting uh, her formal boss and her, her daughter's boss now, uh, the, the wig maker, uh, Miss Flaggerdahl. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it is a means of showing us that, that Maria has... Develop well, self confidence right. through and the then, course of yeah. of taking these pictures. Yeah. Any movie about photography, about right. about image, um, is also a movie about movie making to a of certain course. extent. Right? Well, as we've decided, uh, we've encountered yeah. numerous times. Like all of them seem to be, but yeah, right. Know. Um, this one is particular. The behind-the-scenes so. stuff, yeah. The behind-the-scenes stuff with Yon Troll 
Um, <laughs> he's got a very interesting relationship to movie making, right? In that he comes from a fairly well-off background and had access to cameras from a very young age. Right, yes. You know? It makes him a bit of about, a weirdo uh, in <coughs> in that sense, yeah. right? Like he is. Yeah. It, it starts from a very extreme, an extremely privileged position with regards to like what right. he's able to do. Yeah, um, and continues that privileged position throughout his career. He's like he doesn't consider himself a director because he never, uh, he doesn't have any formal training as a director. He's got no formal training as an actor. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. He's not really explicit about telling his his actors what to do often, and his actors praise that as having the freedom, right? Right. Um, yeah. Which, as you know, in in my limited experience acting, I do like to have the freedom to interpret the character, uh, but it's not it's not with troll it's not from a position of artistic choice <laughs> it's from a position because he doesn't know how to do it otherwise right, right yeah uh and he doesn't know how to tell them to play the scene because he's not an actor he's just a guy who sets up a camera um and well, has an and, eye for the image but, right and then that's where where we get into in the behind the scenes stuff we get into something interesting which we sort of like uh we talked about earlier or sort of before i think before we yeah. started you, which you mentioned yeah he um he uh has a sort of a a, a dom he wants to dominate the camera right like he like he right. it makes him you know the way they talk about it is kind of uh, very gentle but like it's pretty clear that like his desire to like be in charge of the camera is why he didn't make a bunch of Hollywood movies right. Uh, you know, so th- th- that is to me kind of interesting. That like, oh, he's not really cut out for it because like, they, you know, no, you cannot, you cannot have the camera. Yeah. He has. There is another credited cinematographer in this film, uh, but he talks, um, particularly in the bonus feature Trolls Magic Mirror, he talks about uh, not using a cinematographer. Because he wants direct control of the image, right? Uh, that he is always the one operating the camera. Now, there is one moment in an anecdote about a Hollywood production uh, where he also sort of throws the cinematographer under the bus. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's like, well, we, we both almost, realized it was the cinematographer's fault. It's like, yeah. does it actually? But the thing is, is like the description of what happened is not is very so very clearly not the cinematographer's fault like you <laughs> right, said right. mere seconds ago that the the close up on the other person's face like is essential to the storytelling right. and presumably that's what the cinematographer did um All right it's and a very then, strange and then situation Gene Hackman got mad <laughs> yeah it's like wait a Gene minute Gene Hackman like, got mad they almost got into a fight uh which is a very silly image to me because troll does not seem like a man who would stand up in a fight against Gene Hackman very well. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and his, his descriptions of the image, you know, I think he, and, and seeing what limited access we have to seeing trolls images. You know, he does have an eye for good images. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I think the, the weird, 
was it digital when the when the zeppelin flies over i think oh yeah artistically i was i yeah i don't i artistically that that scene works very well because we move from shadow puppets to them being in the shadow of the zeppelin right uh and i get that but the the sky shot of the zeppelin and the shadow moving over them seems so yeah ham-handedly digital. Well, you know what it feels like to me is it feels like British TV. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, as soon does. as we get into yeah. that, I'm like, oh, I'm watching a Doctor Who episode now. That's yeah. what we are. It feels, it feels like one of the cheapest ways to do it professionally in 2008. It was done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which also, I mean, that all makes sense. But, uh, but yeah, you know, there is the flip side of you know of him viewing himself as someone who is born with the eye to see the image uh, right you you definitely come to understand because that's, like oh he's talking about himself right uh, that's what peterson that's what peterson says about maria in the movie right right yeah um uh, and it seems that seems to be him talking a little overtly about himself <laughs> and in what we see from the behind the scenes stuff as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he, ha- I will say that like, you know, he may be a fine person. I don't know, but in the, in the, in the thing, the behind the scenes stuff we have, he does seem to have a very high opinion of himself. Yeah. Uh, well, yes and no, because I, I think that is, that is a fair description but there are moments where he is a little more self-aware um, where he's, he's not overtly saying it, but he is talking about his own loneliness as a person. Yeah. But that's, 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 that's he's a middle uh, child and his father was sort of disconnected from him and that stuff we get overtly about, but there's also a moment where he says that uh, he's always told that he makes movies about lonely, strong men. And then goes on to equivocate and say, you know, I never, I never choose to make a movie like that, but, but of course, I have chosen those themes. You know, he he's self self aware right. enough to say, I put that stuff in the movie, whether I meant to or not. So maybe that says something, and that sort right. of ends in the sadness of of the end of the the magic mirror section, basically. But that that self awareness of your own like sort of social failings is not the same thing as not believing that you're really, really good at what you do. Right. I don't know. The way he... I don't know. Something that... Honestly, I think I would have liked the movie better if I had not watched the one-hour documentary afterwards. I actually yeah. liked the that movie fairly well. I, like, enjoyed it. it. I thought it was a good and engaging experience. Uh, I I found Maria's story compelling um i found the documentary to be bordering on the unbearable uh yeah i did sit through the whole damn thing but i regretted it (laughs) like i didn't need to know that much about this man because i found i i don't know i could never get a grasp of him like i could never like get a hold of like who he was like we spent an hour with him and at the end it it's sort of um I don't know. I 
I had a, a sort of comparison in my head when I was watching it, and it sort of faded away. But like, basically, it had that feel where like it's just sort of him talking about himself, and he yeah. doesn't seem to know who he is all that well. Like, yeah, he right. has these moments of introspection, but like, he just sort of. I don't know. It just felt like I like I gave get, a camera to somebody to follow my to follow like some some just dude around. I can see where that would be frustrating. I also think that that is maybe one of the points of the documentary. I understand uh, that, but like yeah. That's the point of the documentary from the document the documenter's perspective Darian's. maybe. But like we we have to consume it. It has to be consumable uh and it borders on the unconsumable because like i can't get anything out of it i i can't i can't derive meaning from it in any in any meaningful capacity which makes it you know a little hard to watch Um, understandable yeah i don't know it just feels like he I don't when I get done I'm I say to myself hmm this is a person who even now doesn't feel like he knows himself very well or is not willing to like truly right. deeply investigate himself but rather just sort of fall into sort of platitudes about himself I think that's fair Also I got really tired of hearing about his childhood Um, I understand that was also the point, but boy, I was real tired of his childhood by the time we got done. I think that this is another instance of something that does occasionally happen with the Criterion Collection, where when they release the first film by a director, they're not sure that they'll be able to release more. Right, yes. So they give us they give us a sort of retrospective bonus feature that we don't have the context to Yeah, that was part of the problem, yes. get yet. Yeah, right? we haven't seen any if of we the had other seen, movies in here. Yeah. And we've seen we've seen stuff like this uh about say Bergman. Um that last the Bergman Island documentary that right, we watched right. that was its own release was essentially those same sorts of stories about Bergman, right? About his childhood and how how all of all of his, all of his problems in life stem from uh, some sort of Freudian thing, but Bergman's also more self-aware than yes. Troll comes off of here, right? Uh, well, and, and not, uh, but you know. keep in mind that Troll has a feeling like he's he talks himself about himself in yes. a way where he sounds like Bergman, like he, you know what I mean? He like right, right. He he talks about himself in that in that way, but Troll. like. The things that Bergman says about himself are much more introspective and then in the end feel like I oftentimes get lost, not because he's not saying something that makes sense, but because he is just like going in a such a strangely deep way that I'm like trying to process what he's saying and I'm like, okay, like so what does that you know, what does that mean? Whereas here it's more like, oh, you're just sort of I don't know, it just feels like he's just sort of prattling on. I don't know, I don't know. Um, yeah, and maybe it's me, and I don't I, to say that. But no. given that Bergman Island came out in two thousand four, and that this is uh, Trolls Magic Mirror, or the one hour documentary we're talking about, came out in two thousand seven, 
Uh, does it maybe feel like Troll watched Bergman Island and thought, oh, I should I do something like that? Yes, it <laughs> does. And and I kind of wonder, I, I could legitimately believe that that was what happened. Yeah. I guess another another aspect of seeing something like that this early in our experience with Troll then is that by the time we get that from Bergman, we know enough about Bergman's vices too, not right, just his virtues, right. right? So, and and Bergman Island digs into that. Bergman Island has has Bergman justifying his relationship issues based on his relationship to right. his mother yes. in a very Freudian, overtly Freudian way that was terrible <laughs> in watching it <laughs> yes, too. Yeah. But, uh, but now we can we, uh, we yeah we yes yeah we look back and we laugh. Yeah. But yes, at the time I yeah. remember we had like a lot of conversations right. about like yeah. Whereas whereas troll here you know he. His issues are being a sad middle child. <laughs> and yeah, yes, that is his it, dad's it fault. It does have a certain sort of uh, woe but, is me vibe to it, right? Like Right, right, right. Um Yeah. And particularly in saying that people tell me I make movies about sad strong men to imply that he's a sad strong man. He's obviously a sad man. Yeah, the sad uh, the don't strong know. part is uncomfortable. Yeah. Like Right, right. Yeah. Uh it has a it has a sort of a, a if you say so dude sort of vibe to it that um <laughs> right, right I don't need right. in my introspective self documentary thing. Seeing him run around Chicago in that documentary was also kind of fun, I guess. Uh for everything else you might say about the bean as an artistic piece, it existing as sort of a funhouse mirror as well. I think is interesting I mean, when we're is, talking it about is one image of those, it is and, the and universal um like yeah, like oh, I'm a I'm a photographer and I'm in I'm in Chicago. Guess right, where I'm going to go? But... <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I don't I don't fine. It's stereotypical, all, but yes. So. Yeah. And we get we get other stuff of him in Chicago, of taking pictures of other things, of uh climbing a lighthouse in uh on Lake Michigan and so uh, you know, lighthouses themselves have have this image and light metaphor that we could dive into. Um, you know, he's got uh, he's there because he's doing some sort of uh, meet and greet presentation, presenting a film at uh, at the Gene Siskel Film Center or whatever it's called. Uh, it's a very funny moment where he calls a friend of his who is apparently a guy who designs umbrellas uh, and says, hey, we found one of your umbrellas in a tree in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> or at least that's the implication I got yeah. from that conversation. Maybe. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's silly moments in it too, and and generally it wasn't. It could have been shorter. <laughs> and yeah, I, I that was kind of my takeaway. Is that I like, would have gotten, yeah, ultimately I would have gotten more out of it if I had seen more of his films prior. Right, and right. and having only watched the one, uh, I just don't have the context to to know enough well about these yeah things. to understand yeah. those elements of it i think you have enough context to understand like the parts where it's just this dude walking around talking about himself right which you seem to kind of fell on like i mean it was not the most engaging thing in the world to watch right um i don't know <laughs> i what i find most fascinating about it actually is how um, Troll seems to be just a walking, walking contradiction of himself at all times for every everything. It's like, 
I don't know. It's it's just a funny. He's kind of just funny to listen to, uh, because he'll be like, "Oh, I I I really like listening to music. I don't get a chance to do it very much. Oh, loud sounds make my ears hurt." And like, I don't know. They that's just an example, but it feels like we go through this like in every topic we get to, we go through this like progression as he talks about a thing and then sort of flips it and says, well, actually that's not what's ha- what I feel about that thing. And then he flips it again. And it's sort of, I don't know. I feel like we do that a bunch of time in this documentary where it'll be like the, the music one is just my, my hallmark example because it's like, oh, I wonder why you don't sit and listen to music all the time. Dude. Yeah. Is it that it makes your ears hurt? Right, right, like, right. Like, how do you, why did you bring it up in the first place? <laughs> why did you tell me you don't know why you don't listen to music anymore? I don't understand. Why are you doing this to me? Like, why is he doing it to himself? I don't Just know. And then the whole the thing, thing, it feels right. that way, though. We're like, yeah. are you okay? And the answer is very obviously, no, you're not okay. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. And you're not. You've got the gift of uh, being just self-aware enough to make sure you continue to not be okay. And, you know, maybe that is there are reasons where that could be. There's like uh, undiagnosed clinical depression. Yeah, no, have, not, right? I, I, <laughs> I, I decided very purposely when I was watching this. That I was not going to try to play amateur doctor <laughs> right, with troll. Right, right, right. But like yeah. in my head, I, the whole time I was playing amateur doctor with troll because I was like, "Yeah, this dude has I, problems." I do appreciate in the uh, in the behind the scenes for for this movie in particular, the, uh, one of the other bonus features, um, where I feel like troll is about to confess to being a, a hard director, and then he pivots in the last moment. Uh, and I really liked it because uh, he talks about, uh, well, it's the director's job to push limits, to to always be going further or something. Uh, but then the last clause he adds to that sentence is to be as demanding as they can be of the people with money. Uh, so, you know, he's contextualizing what he's saying, not not to be demanding of your actors or your crew, but to be demanding of your producers right, right, to, get, right. <laughs> to, do, to do what you want to do. Um, and that was... That made me like him a little bit more when I heard him this thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything else he talks about him, <laughs> his directing style. It's like, oh, you're just a guy who was given a camera for Christmas when he was four or something, you know? Right, like, yeah. Uh, which is not, you know, that's that's not actual biographical. <laughs> you know, That's not the story he tells about for his first encounters with cameras. But, but yeah. Yeah, so... You know, Troll, obviously, he sees himself in Maria, right? Um, and that makes sense. He maybe sees himself too much in Maria because Troll, uh, Troll and Maria are obviously doing different things in their interaction with the camera. With Maria, it is uh, building self-confidence in, in the same way that it might have been Troll, and that's maybe where he connects. And he connects in having Peterson tell Maria that she's got this natural eye uh, for for image, um, that that maybe troll has, uh, and that's you know, he also 
<laughs> if Joel's trying to trying to make Maria his artist stand in here, um, I don't know. She's a person who is not famous, being told that she's a good photographer by a person who is not famous. So maybe <laughs> maybe Troll should be. Um, Bergman has apparently praised Trolls. You know, Troll get got a real career bo- boost early on by Bergman. Uh, praising one of his early movies. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, so there's there's that, sort of that aspect too. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't, I bring up Bergman because he's another Swedish director who, you know, we we're very familiar with, much more familiar with than than Troll. Um, I don't want to assume that Troll is living in Bergman's shadow, but also Bergman is the most famous Swedish director. So, well, I want uh, to have to assume that he is right. right. Like it, it seems <laughs> yes. a guarantee. Like I don't think we're we're like um, maligning him by saying that. Like right. you know right. what I mean. Like it's yeah. it's hard to be more famous than Bergman. Like yeah. Bergman's not just uh, the most famous Swedish director. He's one of those directors that fits into the category of like you say his name and people. Right. He's just one of the most famous directors. He yeah. doesn't need the he doesn't need doesn't the qualifier need, yeah. of Swedish. Yeah, he exactly. trans- <laughs> transcended that. And then when you <laughs> yeah. when you happen to also be from Sweden, like yeah. it's almost impossible for that to not be a shadow, right? Like that just it, it right. has to be. And like, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's one yeah. of those things where, you know, who are the who are the top five Swedish directors who aren't Bergman? Seems like a list. Just just Bergman's automatically number one. So yeah, you know he's making. Again, we've only seen one, uh, but he's he's making movies, in a broad sense, like Bergman movies. Um, this movie would obviously very be rather different if Bergman made it. Yes, but you know these are emotional dramas, um, in the same manner that Bergman is making emotional dramas. Uh, yeah. Um, It is maybe interesting that Troll seems to be putting a lot of himself into Maria. Uh, in that that doesn't often happen in our experience of uh, of a man, of a male director using a female character as, right, as that his is true. artist stand-in. The one, the one time I can think of that happening, it was not good. <laughs> Which was right. which was Fellini and Giulietta of the Spirits. Well, <laughs> what you what you probably yeah yes because like what you end up not with to say is... that right, not to say that wasn't a good movie, but what you end up with is uh, a director making excuses for his own life and then well, forcing exactly. his partner into yeah. into you, performing. You only those have really excuses. one of uh, right. only a couple options of the ways that can go, right. and most of them are bad. Right, like they just they're yeah. going to be. That um, one was especially bad because the star of the movie was his longtime partner, right? Right. Uh, um, yeah, that one, but, we don't have that here. No, <laughs> so. and, and I would say that I think in general, um, yeah, he handles her well, I mean, as a character. Like, he doesn't, um, yeah, he he is, uh, has a lot, I, it, it's interesting because, like, he's doing a lot of good work with her as a person. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really have any like complaints about the way that he is handling his, his main character here. Um, Absolutely. I, you know, 
like I said, I found the, her story compelling. I was invested in it. Um, you know, I felt I felt good with the story. Right? I it felt like a she felt like a real person, and I and one has to wonder if that helps. Right? Like, not to not to like try to take something away from him. Okay, I'm not I'm not trying to do that. But one has to wonder, oh, when you're dealing with a a a fundamentally true story where people knew the person and you can get insights into the personality, it eliminates, I think, some of the concerns of like now you're just sort of inventing a person that like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like in some cases to be mad at, but also in the cases of like, you know, we talked about like, you know, to like make excuses for you. It's so easy when you're yeah. inventing a person whole cloth to make that person do and say what you want people in the same category as that person to do and say because it would make you happy, right? Right. I, that is a very. Con- I know that was a very convoluted way of saying that, but I don't know how else to say it. Like there is that temptation to make that. that character be your de facto sort of like mouthpiece that will say whatever you need the world to say about you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that, that, and he's not, he's not doing that. Right. Well, and then I think that's helped a lot by it being her being a real person where like there are other people with meaningful opinions about that person in existence. You know I, what I'm saying? I think it is more, I think it is even more helped by the fact that she is a real person who is one of his wife's relatives. Right. And, and that's uh, kind of where I he, was going with that. Yes. Is that like. If he goofed this up too much, uh, people he would have to see again will be bad at him. <laughs> so. Um, right. Yeah. He's such a, there is, there is an extent to, uh, to which family history stories are mythologies. Right. And Maria right. is sort of a mythological character here. Um, so he's got to make a movie that represents her well. And from what from what we know from the limited contact we have with the family members talking about these situations, uh, children and grandchildren grew up knowing that Sig was the bad guy in the situation, and right. to to a certain to a certain extent, you know, despite what I said at the top of the show. Troll does humanize Sig more than the stories he told, heard about Sig probably humanize Sig. Right, yes, yeah. Right. I, I think that is probably true. My guess is yes, that like, yes, yeah. Uh, Sig is treated better than he may, may also have deserved in general, probably. Right, but. right, right. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I appreciate what we do learn about Sig's outside life. Uh, and maybe to the extent that he couldn't offend the people who told him this story. Sig's household life has to be as flat as it was. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, We don't want the nuance there because the nuance there is where there would be more active pushback. Uh, So maybe that makes sense too. Um, Yeah. It's still a fantastic movie. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah. 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 It's an engaging movie, certainly, and I love I, the story it's telling. 
Yeah, and um, I would agree that he he does seem to have a very serious natural talent for or for you know for image. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's yeah. It is it is not just the matter that you know he is he is someone who had access to cameras from early on, uh, but he is not a guy who didn't know what he was doing and only got the jobs because he was the guy with the camera. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, he's yes. He's not. Yeah. I mean, it may, that he, may have. He has a talent. Yeah, whether it may or not have he has also the talent. Been the case that he also that that is also true, but like, yes, he does have a talent yeah. for, for and and then I also like tend to want to downplay the the notion of talent, like having a, he clearly invested a lot of time and energy into understanding. Yes. Like I always want to be careful. Like he keeps talking about it about as natural talent. I I hesitate to allow myself to go into that category because I art art and art is is a skill that one hones. And like right. he didn't just pick up a camera and magically be good at it. Uh, right. Having one since he was four years old and messing around with it constantly probably plays a big role in him being good at it. Um, yeah, you do you do always sort of come back down to like. Well, privilege does play a, a big part in in everything, right? Like, right. And I think yeah, he doesn't think, just get the jobs because he he had a camera, you know, because he's the dude with the camera. Yeah. But boy, having a camera since you were four years old and being able to just and having that as the thing right. you could do, spend waste endless amounts of time on, doesn't hurt. Um. Yeah, and Maria. Maria kind of risks being interpreted like that as, as this innate talent. But also I think Maria is realistically a working class person who has had access to this camera, but doesn't have the self-confidence to become a good artist until someone outside of herself can say, Hey, you could be a good artist or, Hey, this is good. Keep doing things like this. Right. Uh, Yeah. You know, and that doesn't need to be someone who is also super famous, right? <laughs> um, it does normally have to be someone who knows what they're talking about, right? You don't believe your friends or your husband or your kids right, when right. they tell you, oh, no, this is good. Uh, but you do believe the person who runs the pottery shop that you're, <laughs> you're taking pottery lessons from. When they right. Say, now, oh, maybe you're, maybe no, you, that's, you're that, right. that is also bad, but... <laughs> yeah. They... Well, of course, yes. But no... Peterson yeah, no, also... I mean, Peterson also presents all these ideas in a manner where he is removing the financial concerns as he's doing it. Right. Yes. Uh, which is very, very helpful to being able to uh, learn and uh, pursue in art to not have the financial considerations of having to do that. Right. And one of Maria's, one of the things that holds Maria back is that she cannot afford to always be taking pictures right right uh yeah so you know she ran through what we originally have peterson giving to her with with taking a single photograph of a dead girl as payment um and then it's years and years and years before she comes back right uh and she only comes back not because she happens to finally have the money for it but because her husband has finally said, "Hey, get the camera out. <laughs> let's let's take a picture of me in my capitalist uniform." <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah. 
yeah i don't know uh through i i appreciate the reasons we've said that maybe sig doesn't become a full person at least within the family i appreciate that even despite that troll gives us enough hints at sig's external life uh and and the political life of the time that they're living in uh you know unfortunately with sig particularly they are enough hints that we still sort of have to fill in the gaps with stereotype too often uh but you know he's still he's still a fine character and i'm glad that you know unlike unlike the way this movie could have end, ended even given what we know about Maria's life, you know, dying of heart disease or whatnot. Uh, it does have a, a, an idea, a, a nice ending, an artistic ending. It is an ending that is very filmic, much more filmic than other the, parts of the movie too, right? Yeah. Where you get this soft focus in the woods and the, you know, uh, and it's idyllic. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, part of the title of her lasting moments. You know, these are the captured memories of Maria in her happiest times, right? The, she takes pictures of the images she wants to remember uh, with hopefully the exception of the dead girl. Uh, but other well, than I mean, in that situation, she's she's giving the gift of memory to somebody else, right? Right. right, right. Her, the right. mother yes. specifically requested yes, this thing yes. as a way to is, hold on to her that. daughter. Yes. No. One hundred percent. And that is a thing that that we I, hear Troll engage with in his, that documentary, and and probably the most important thing he actually does talk about in the documentary, because you know I I complained about it, but he does discuss the idea of like. That you know they are memories, but they are also sort of demented and broken memories. Like you know, he talks about his childhood video, where like that's probably actually many days chopped into one new memory that didn't exist before. And he he had a. It seems that he's more willing to introspect on topics that aren't necessarily himself. Like not introspect, mm-hmm. but you know, he 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 engages with them a little bit more deeply and is a little less muddled about like his view, for example, of what he what the job of a photographer and what they are doing is. Um so yeah. and that's the thing that Maria also ends up talking about because, you know, the you know, it's the same person, right? Like <laughs> but yeah, it I, I did find that stuff all kind of fun and interesting to think about. Yeah, as a movie that is exploring art, uh, Troll has meta things to say about art that are really about himself, right? Right. Uh, That we can see. But ultimately, the story this movie is telling at its heart is a story of a working class person who is using their own artistic talent as escapism. And that's... uh, uh, as a means of escape, not as escapism. Escapism right. has a negative context that I don't mean there. Um, <clears throat> but as a means of self-control, of, of control of self, of <clears throat> control of her own destiny. Uh, yeah, that, you know, that's a good story to tell. And it's a story that 
we don't see all that often about a woman, particularly. All right. So there is right. uh, an inherent feminism to this of portraying Maria as someone who gained self-confidence and self-determination in early 20th century uh, Sweden. Um and, you know, that's great. Good for her. Uh, probably should have listened to her kids and left left her husband. But right. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> People are complicated, but, too. Yes, so. yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was a good movie. And I'm happy to have watched it. Like I said, we'll have more Troll in the future. Um, but it's pretty distant, I think. Yeah, when, when is it? Um, uh, let's... Let's see. There were three others, if I remember correctly. Uh, and they are uh, Spine 766. We'll see. Here is your life. Um, we're currently spine, on Spine. What, what number is this? I've, I have lost track completely. Uh, 520. Okay, so we got a bit. So, 200 episodes so in, or so. In about, about two years and four months, we'll watch... Uh, Here's your life. Uh, and then uh, about six months after that, we'll see our last two, The Immigrants in the New Land uh, from 1971 and 1972 at spine number 796 and 797. Uh, and that's all the troll we have to look forward to as of right now. Uh, and those are all films that were mentioned in the retrospective. Right. right. Again, yeah. I think I think that retrospective was a thing that if they weren't expecting to ever have access to release a troll thing again, it was good to get it out there, but it's something that would make more sense. Right. When we have a little bit, yes. Uh, a little after bit we have the other context of seeing those films. Now, you know, the flip side of something like that is criterion puts it out on the first movie and whether or not criterion can get us, can get access to the other troll films uh, seeing that should have encouraged us to want to see those other trolls. Right, yeah. Right. Well, our engagement with the Criterion Collection, as always, is broken. And <laughs> right, we right. Are not, <laughs> Absolutely. We don't do it right. Um, yes. You're supposed to watch that and be like, oh, man, I should really like, oh, man, I really like that. I, I should check out these other movies that were mentioned here. Yeah. Instead, we we live in a nightmare version where we um, we do it all wrong. Yeah. And I think something like the immigrants in what I saw from that documentary, I am excited to watch. Yeah, that no, I, I thought that was interesting. I think I was like, oh, this yeah. is something I could actually probably enjoy watching. I mean, I enjoyed this as well. So I mean, yeah. So far, his um, his he's he's very successful, right? So with, yeah. with the one I with really, the one sample size, and yes, the, I really the, think what I saw looked yeah. interesting. I absolutely think that seeing a story of Swedish immigrants to America from a Swedish perspective. Uh, is much more interesting to me than seeing that same story from the American perspective, for right. instance. So, uh, so yeah, interested in that. Can't wait for it. Do have to wait for it. Have, yes, to, wait have to wait four or five years for it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so there's that. But alas, uh, yeah, I think we can probably pull this one to a close though. But everlasting moments. It's a it's a wonderful, beautiful movie uh, about uh, an interesting woman who. If it weren't for the fact that she was related to the filmmaker, uh, we never would have known her no, story. Yeah, one hundred percent. Which makes it exciting. Yeah. That 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 is that yeah, alone is absolutely is an exciting thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I think these are 
these sort of stories of, you know, working class, otherwise anonymous people are stories I connect to. You know, that's why I enjoy uh, a people's history, right? That's what what I want out of how I learn about the past is to learn about people in their political and social context. Uh, and we don't get a lot of the political context, but we get enough of the political context to understand well, what's going we on. Well, we get Maria's relationship to it, which is um, right. she doesn't have a lot of time for it, right? Like, Right, right, right. Which is is probably very accurate to her real life, right? Like so. You know. Yeah, right. That's you know, I got into a conversation with somebody a few months ago about uh, about revolution and and you know the the need for vast political change, and uh, and I pointed out you know people people like me or like the people I came from uh, when when that big political upheaval happens, they just keep farming. That's, they just, they just live their life. You know, that's, uh, you know, so I don't know. Maria's just living her life, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, she's, Uh I mean, Maria for most of the movie is just trying to survive, right? Like the, the movie is about a person who is they're they're, they spend most of the movie on the edge of not being able to survive. Right. Uh, And that's important. That's an important thing to keep in mind when yeah. you're watching a, a story of a, of a real person is like well first and foremost was like making sure that everybody had food uh, right which is not always something they're able to do in a really like good way right yeah yeah and it's also very important that uh you know as as talented as she might be it is when she is forced to use photography as a means of uh putting food in her children's bellies uh, is when she really starts to do it too. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, But ultimately, you know, if, uh, if the Swedish welfare system had existed in a better way than we see it existing in this movie, uh, she could have been taking pictures for fun, not for profit. Uh, And uh, that would uh, have been great too. (laughs) That's the dream, right? Is that like, yeah, you know, your work should never consume every moment of your life, right? And uh, right. yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Hearst basically does. Right, right. Because it has to, because of the system right. she lives under. And that's what we want. Uh, <laughs> and if the, if the social anarchists uh, have, to, uh, have to blow up a boat every so often for us to get that, I hope it works out. But also, it doesn't work out for England who just goes through all of that and gets more depressed as things don't change. Right. Right. Uh, which which is that's seems not to be the, great. The standard path. <laughs> it is it is historically a pretty standard path. It doesn't have to be. No. Uh, I would never say that. And don't don't get as depressed as England gets, please. No. Uh, but you can't continue that fight when you're dead. I get it. I get I get, I get where that despair comes from. Uh, try to have the hope to avoid it. Man, that's not where I expected to end this episode. No, nope. but maybe it's still good to end it there. Uh, we've been talking about everlasting moments uh, from Jan Troll from 2008 Swedish. Uh, next week we will be uh, 
probably really switching gears emotionally wise <laughs> as we talk about Jim Jarmusch Mystery Train. I imagine uh, yeah. is 1989. Um, like the last Jarmusch film we watched, this is an anthology. Thank you so much for listening to Lost and Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. been lost in criterion hosted by me adam glass find me on twitter at the adam glass my co-host is john patrick overtory dorgan you can find him on twitter at jpatrickdorgan big thanks to jonathan hape for our theme song check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service also thanks to all our patreon supporters itunes reviewers and redbubble customers and hey thank you for listening